Welcome to the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Would you join me again in prayer? Jesus, we trust and believe that you are in front of us, so help us to see you and help us to feed on what you offer us this morning. Amen. I want to ask you a question this morning, and the question is this. When is the last time you experienced a serious craving for a particular food? Last night? Okay. Yeah, we get these cravings. We get these cravings, and it's multi-sensory, right? We can picture it in our heads. We can smell this food. We can taste it, and we just want it. We get this craving. We think, okay, now isn't soon enough for us to enjoy this food. I think for me, the last serious craving I have was for a Chicago deep dish style pizza. Yeah, yeah. So enjoy, enjoy that craving. Uh, my wife Christy and I were cleaning out some drawers recently, and we came upon a gift card for Pizzeria Uno. I think we bought it at last year's uh, gift card drive here in support of our Ecuador mission trip. We hadn't used it yet, so I looked at it, and of course I had a picture on the front of the pizza, and I really, really wanted one of those pizzas. Now, my wife and I enjoy New England pizza, and uh, we're equal opportunity. It can be Italian, it can be Greek, we're all good. But it's been a long time since I've had the gooey, cheesy goodness of a deep dish pizza, and I found myself craving it. Sometimes we get these cravings because it's been a long time. We remember what it was like, and we want it. We want it now. But there are other times that we find ourselves enjoying something, even in that moment, and we're enjoying it so much that we assume, wow, if this is good, then more of it is probably even better. And so we find ourselves, as we enjoy something, feeling a craving for more and more. And we realize that if we're not careful, that kind of, uh, that kind of tendency can lead us to, to gluttony, if not outright addiction of some form. In Jesus' time on earth, if we look at the gospel stories of his life, we see that he, he did a lot to help a lot of people, a lot of people. And many of them were, we see were, were truly and deeply grateful for what Jesus had done for them. And they, they left their encounter with Jesus deeply satisfied. But there were others who encountered Jesus and got what he offered and craved more right away. This morning we heard the story from John chapter 6, a story that is set shortly after Jesus had just miraculously fed thousands of people with all the bread they could possibly want, and we were told that there were leftovers afterward. And after this scene where Jesus had taught people and fed them miraculously, Jesus gets in a boat and crosses to the other side of the lake. As he reaches the opposite shore, who does he meet but that same crowd of people that he had just taught and fed? And they have an offer for him. They have a proposal. They say, Jesus, give us a sign from heaven. And 
maybe we'll believe in you. We find these people craving not the teachings of Jesus, but more of that really good, no-cost bread that he had given them so recently. Give us a sign you've come from heaven. And by the way, that bread that you just gave us, that might do the trick if you could just give us some more. To which Jesus answers, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. So Jesus basically tells the crowds who had gathered them with this proposal. He said, you've seen me in the flesh and still you're asking for a sign. You want proof and you've got living proof right in front of your eyes. You've seen me and you don't believe we see that these people were actually kind of deliberately nursing their doubts, holding on to them, because they think that by expressing those doubts, they might get Jesus to do for them what they want. They think that this might be the key to unlocking some more of those complimentary baked goods. And Jesus stood before them, declaring that he himself is the bread of life, the one who can do away with their deepest hunger, for good. Now, I think we can understand why Jesus didn't say, I'm the salad of life. I'm the green beans of life. Now, those are all really good, nutritious, helpful things. And maybe some of you get cravings for those things. Personally, I don't. But I think we recognize that there's something special about bread and that as it nourishes us, it brings us such deep pleasure and satisfaction. The wonder of bread is that it delights us even as it sustains us. It nourishes our lives and brings us incredible satisfaction. Now, I know not everyone is a huge bread fan, and I know that some people, for a number of reasons, uh, need to stay away from, from wheat or gluten, but I think that the fact that there's such a huge market for gluten-free bread shows just how deeply craveable that food is. Feed on me, Jesus is saying. I'm your bread. Feed on me. You will find nourishment. You'll be sustained and delighted. You'll have all you need for, for life, and you'll never go starving. As Jesus walked and taught, he made it clear that to feed on him actually means to listen to him and then to do what he says, to put his teachings into practice. And one day he invited anybody who wanted to listen to him up onto a mountaintop, away from the noise, the din, and distraction of everyday life, to listen to him teach about the life that is truly life, the life that would actually sustain one's soul. Jesus saw that the crowds were aching and longing for more in their lives. And so he called them. He said, come away and listen to me. Let me teach you. And so he taught a sermon that pointed to the direction of the kind of life that would bring them more satisfaction than the best bread they had ever tasted. We read in Matthew chapter 5 that when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. 
his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So that day Jesus called the people up onto the mountainside so that he might feed them, he might equip them for the life he knew they were going to have to live when they went back down into the busyness of the valley. And as the people that day hung on his words, I imagine they were quite puzzled by what he told them. Because if you were to ask someone, okay, do some word association with me, if I say the word blessed, what comes into your mind? You might hear answers like fortunate, happy, favored, wealthy, cared for, carefree. You'd probably be less likely to hear words like mournful, meek, hungry, thirsty, persecuted, lied about. And yet Jesus points to these attributes and others as part of what it means to be truly blessed, truly happy in the kingdom that God is building on earth. Jesus turned people's expectations and their assumptions, assumptions about blessing and blessedness on their head as he pointed to life and taught about life that is really life. The Greek word that Matthew uses here that we translate as blessed is makarios. Makarios, which carries the sense of being singularly favored by God. It's this special place, special status and situation. It's sometimes translated as happy, but it doesn't really mean happy as we think of that as a kind of an inner feeling that might be somewhat fleeting. But it does imply that the people Jesus is talking about will have happy lives, even if they don't have happy feelings at every given moment. Over these past several weeks, we've been exploring how Jesus interacted with his culture, his context. We see him bumping up against things that we find familiar in our setting. We see that he walked a world that was full of conversations and arguments about religion and politics he bumped up against human pain and encountered the sting of death. There's much that was familiar. And this morning, as we look together at how Jesus engaged life and what he taught about life, we see from Matthew 5 
that the life that's truly life that Jesus taught and brought isn't what we'd naturally expect. Now these days, we probably wouldn't be too surprised to find a, a TED Talk or a podcast or an online article or a book that talks about uh, a better life and uses words, maybe even in the subtitle, words like fulfillment, satisfaction, betterment, achievement, accomplishment. We think of a better life, we think, imagine what our best life would be, and we get a sense that it should, it should feel better. We should be more comfortable. It should feel more positive. And then we hear Jesus talk about these blessed ones, those ones who suffer, the ones who find their spirits broken, those who mourn in their grief, those who are humbly meek, those people who do the hard and frustrating and often thankless work of demonstrating mercy, pursuing purity, and sowing peace. And Jesus even goes to, so far as to say that those who find themselves persecuted and insulted should rejoice, rejoice in their level of blessedness. Again, not what we'd expect. I'm sure not what Jesus' listeners expected that day. Jesus didn't preach about the kind of life that we would naturally think about as happy. But he did point to exactly the kind of life that he knew would fulfill our deepest needs. Jesus points to the blessedness of those who have found real life, not in terms of their positive feelings, but rather in terms of, of their destinies. Where are they headed? He points to the outcomes that these people will experience in this life and into eternity. Jesus says those who find themselves poor in spirit will be given the kingdom of heaven. Those who are meek will inherit the earth. Their future is bright. Those who mourn will find themselves comforted. Those who hunger and thirst will find themselves filled. The merciful will be shown mercy and the pure in heart will see God. Now it's interesting that Jesus, as he teaches, doesn't say who's going to do all this filling and answering and blessing. He doesn't say who will bring about these outcomes. He doesn't say who will comfort, who will grant the kingdom of heaven, who will show mercy, who will fill with righteousness. And it's because he doesn't need to. The crowd that gathered around Jewish, Jesus on that mountaintop, this Jewish crowd knew exactly who is the one who gives all these things. They knew it was God himself and God alone. And so Jesus tells the people essentially in this sermon, he says, you want to know life that's truly life? It's the life that has God all over it. It's the life that has God filling it, filling every place and moment of deep need. It's the life that sees God showing up again and again, providing what only God can provide. God showing himself to those who find themselves in need, to those people who deliberately place themselves in positions of need, 
and finding those things filled by God. Jesus says the life that's truly life is actually a needy life and a filled life. Jesus points to a life that pours out. The pours out poverty of spirit, the pours out cries of grief in moments of mourning and loss. The life that pours out acts of mercy, labors of peacemaking. He points to a life that spends itself, that empties itself, but then finds itself replenished, filled back up, filled with even better things than those things it had emptied out. When we find ourselves emptied and poured out, Jesus tells us, then we are ready to have God fill us. Fill us with those things we truly, deeply need and that bring us true life. And as people who have been filled by God in this way, we find that we're not just blessed, but we're actually ready. We're ready to live the kind of life that God intends for us and calls us to live. We're ready to live into the mission that Jesus gives us as those who choose to follow him. The mission to reflect him here on earth, to represent him to a world in deep, deep need. If you look at this list of those who are blessed, you see that every single life condition or situation that Jesus names in this passage that we call the Beatitudes is a condition that Jesus himself experienced or demonstrated. Jesus found his spirit sapped. Jesus mourned in the face of death. Jesus hungered and thirsted for righteousness. He worked toward peace. He was merciful. And without any doubt, Jesus was persecuted, insulted, and spoken falsely against. Jesus didn't just preach this kind of life. He lived it right in front of us. Jesus lived this kind of life because he knew it was the kind of life God calls all of us to, designed us for, and Jesus knew this is the kind of life that the world needs to see, that our world needs to brush up against. Jesus knew that the world has more than enough people who are looking out for themselves, more than enough people who can tell you the top 10 ways you can do the same. Jesus knew this world has more than enough people who consider themselves superior to others, who are self-righteous rather than being those who hunger for the righteousness of God. None of those people are on the list of those whom Jesus calls blessed. The blessed life that Jesus points to is one that is really rich in ways the world may not fully comprehend or understand. But it's the kind of life the world desperately needs to see and to experience. Jesus calls to himself people who end up being deeply blessed by God, filled by God as they pour out their lives, and who are then ready to truly bless a hurting and needy world. Jesus came to earth that people might know the depth of God's love for people, the people he created, and to demonstrate that love by pouring out his own life. And then Jesus invites those who follow him 
to do the same. Jesus says in Matthew 10, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. People trying to find their lives end up trying to fill them. They try to find purpose, try to find rhythm, find fullness, satisfaction by filling their lives up with things they believe will lead to satisfaction and fulfillment and happiness. Jesus points to a life that actually develops a habit of emptying itself, of pouring itself out so that God can fill it with whatever God chooses and that pours itself out so others can be blessed. And this is the kind of life that ends up looking a lot like Jesus. So what is it that we crave? What is it we can picture and, and taste? We long for it and we want it now. Is it, is it Jesus himself and is it the, the things that he offers? We find ourselves craving things or do we find ourselves craving a person? A person we believe will lead us to true joy. A person who will bless us even as he invites us to the difficult and sometimes or often painful task of pouring ourselves out. May we be people who crave Jesus, who feed on him and on the things he offers us. As we feed on him as the bread of heaven come down to earth. The bread of heaven that will truly satisfy. And may we look to him and to him alone among all the options we're given as that which will truly satisfy us and will answer the cravings of our souls. And as we find ourselves filled, may we, we be ready to, to pour ourselves back out again that we may bless our neighbors with the love that we've been given by God. May we bless the world around us that, that knows it wants something, that it's craving something, but might not yet realize exactly what it is. We know that the buffet of life is full of options. It can be overwhelming. We've been there. We've made those mistakes ourselves plenty of times. But may we be people who feast only on what God intends for us and what Jesus invites us to enjoy, to feed on. May we be people who are quick and ready to joyfully invite other people to the table with us. Please pray with me. Loving, living Lord Jesus, bread of heaven and bread of life, we thank you that you offer yourself to the world and to each of us. Thank you for teaching us what real life truly looks like, for showing it by living it out right in front of our eyes as the living word of God. Loving and merciful Father, we thank you for leading us to true satisfying eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Teach us to feed daily, moment by moment, on the bread that he offers us. And God, would you fill us again with your Holy Spirit that we might live as people who know what it is to be truly blessed and who seek to bless our neighbors. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.